Thank you, Jessica. Appreciate that. Well, good morning. Everybody alive out there? As far as you know? Last time you checked? Well, we are in Psalm 116 this morning, and we're actually looking at part two because we were in this psalm last communion Sunday. But time has progressed, and now we are in the first Sunday of the month of September. So we are in Psalm 116. There are basically three themes, three things going on in this psalm. It's a rather short psalm, and I'll read it all in just a moment. But the psalmist really touches on three things. And first, we looked at this last time. He is talking about what God has done for him. And he's describing a moment and an experience in his life. And he, he is at a point of his life where he is either mentally or physically at the end. He is literally this close to death. Whatever's going on in his life, it's a literal thing. And so being very close to death, he describes it as if the very hands of Sheol push up through the dirt and they have him. They have his body and he is on his way down to meet the underworld. And it's on his way down that he was able to find his faith and have just enough presence of mind to call on the Lord for salvation. And God saved him. And he is amazed that God heard his puny little voice in this time of weakness and confusion. He's amazed that God came to his rescue and he and he draws some conclusions. So he's conclusions and he's talking about what God has done for him. God saved him. And he realized now that if God can do this for me in this kind of situation, I'm going to call on him for the rest of my life. So he made that connection. He made drew that conclusion about the faithfulness and the reliability of God, even at his weakest point. He's he hears my voice. Whether I'm shouting from the mountaintop or I'm about to leave this world. God knows my situation. He hears my voice. He answers. That's it. I'm committed. I'm living for him. I'm going to him first every time from here on out. And based on what God has done for him, the second thing we'll find, and we'll look at this this morning, is that in this experience, he draws some theological conclusions. He makes some theological Reflections, some things that he has learned about life and God, and he wants to pass that on to us. And then lastly, based on the theological reflections and what God has done for him, for him, he gets to this point where he thinks to himself, I am so amazed. I am so humbled at what God has done for me. I just have to do something for God. I've got to act. I've got to do something for God. Have you ever had an experience in your Christian Christian pilgrimage. And God is always good. And we say that God is good all the time. But there are times in our lives where God just comes through in unexpected ways and does things and wows us and amazes us so much that our hearts swell up and we think to ourselves, I have got to respond to this. I have got to act. I have got to do something for God. So that's where the psalmist is in all of this. This is a powerful, practical psalm. And I am confident that God will minister to us this morning. Because when we open his word and read his word, 
that he has preserved and revealed to us. It is his intention to use it to minister to every heart that hears it. So I'm confident that God has something for all of us this morning. And we just ask as I read this passage, and it's only 19 verses, that you would whisper that prayer to God. God, apply these words to my heart that I might exalt you. Apply these words to my heart that I might edify my brothers and sisters in Christ. And apply these words to my heart that I might evangelize, witness and share with those that do not yet know you. Psalm 116, verses 1 through 19. I love the Lord. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of show laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. You know, life is designed because there's only one real, true and living God. And because he has designed everything, us and everything that we know of, all of creation in a very specific way. There are times throughout our lives where we have to evaluate how things are going, evaluate who we are, what's happening in our lives, and draw conclusions. We're always faced in our lives with opportunities to draw conclusions, to have reflections. And we are doing this all the time, and we are making decisions what is what we think is best for us. And the psalmist in this experience of his life has been forced to draw some conclusions and make decisions about God and his life and what really life is all about based on his experience. So what kind of theological reflections does he come away with in this time of his life? What has he learned and what can we learn from the psalmist this morning? Well, first in verse five, and I see four things that I will point out, but first in verse five, he says, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Have you learned that about God in your journey? God's gracious. He's merciful. 
and righteous, not just merciful, not just gracious, but he's righteous as he is merciful and has he is gracious. In what way is he righteous? Well, God is gracious, but he's righteous in the sense that he has made promises to people as far as what it's like to live in covenant with him. He reveals that to us and he has revealed in his word that that he, he promises himself. He extends promises, truths. And every time that he fulfills that, that's a righteous thing to do. So he has promised in covenant living to be gracious. He has promised to cover sins. He has promised to be merciful. And when he is these things, he is being righteous because he is doing rightly what he has said and promised that he will do. The psalmist is marveling at how God cares for him, how gracious he has been, how merciful he has been. And of course, to be gracious, to be amazed at the grace of God means you've experienced something in your life where you realize God just gave me something. He just did something for me. I didn't even see it coming. It was totally undeserved. And when we experience God's mercy, primarily it's when we realize, whoa, I just escaped something. Because of God's goodness, I had it coming to me. And because of God's goodness, I escaped it. Are we learning these things in our Christian journey? Because the mercy and the grace the psalmist is saying, he's so amazed at it because he realizes that these things are happening not because of what he brought to the table, not because of his good heart. He's undone because he realizes this is all from the good heart of God. This is just happening to me. He's rescuing me. He's delivering me. He's hearing my wimpy little cries for help. Because he is a good God, not because we're so good and fruitful and faithful. But because God is so good and God is so faithful. And wrong thinking and wrong attitudes about how this covenant dynamic works. We have seen in Matthew as Jesus calls out the Pharisees for their wrong way of thinking. Because they look in the same world and they interpret their lives in the favor and the blessings of God as coming upon them because of their good hearts. They conclude that because I am obedient to God, because I'm a good person I have earned a portion of God's goodness in return. And that's wrong thinking. But there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. If we're not careful, we can begin to think. We look at our lives and we stand back. Man, God has done this and I got this awesome uh, marriage. I got this awesome family. I go to this awesome church and now I'm on the top of the job. Things are just falling in line. Man, I must be just nailing the Christian life. God is just loving on me right now. Everything I'm doing is right and therefore God is responding. And that's a wrong conclusion. That turns into that terrible cycle of death of works righteousness. What is so amazing to him is the psalmist realized I didn't even bring anything to the table and look what I walk away with. That's just the goodness of God. He doesn't turn into his own heart and pat himself on the back. He gives God the glory. The truth of the matter, it's, it's just grace. The favor and the blessings 
of God that have come to him. It's just grace. And God has accepted the only thing that God has accepted. And the reason that we are blessed. The reason that he keeps covenant is not because of our righteousness. It's because of the righteousness of Christ. And the whole Bible pointed to that all along. It's because of his righteousness that the blessings from heaven can pour upon us, even though we are still not all the way sanctified. That's what he is rewarding, the righteousness of Christ. Because when it gets straight down to it, when we really look at our lives, we think of ourselves in the light of God's word. We're what we bring to the table is debt. We're debtors of mercy. And I know that we have good days. We also have bad days. Sometimes we're on. Sometimes we're off. But we receive the blessing of God. Regardless of an on day or an off day. Because of the righteousness of Christ. He exchanged that great exchange that the New Testament talks about. Where he clothes us with his righteousness. And he takes our sins. So he bores our punishment in the wrath of God. But yet he gives our right, us his righteousness as a gift and the righteous live by faith. We believe in that gift and that's why we're blessed. That's why we're favored whenever we are. Contrary to many of the teachings, even in Christendom today, where they look at God as if there's this big vending machine. And we put our good works in the vending machine and therefore we can push the button and get the blessing that we want from God. The blessings that we have from God are because of Christ. That's why we come here to exalt the name of Christ and not ourselves. We don't come here to talk about how well we live the Christian life this week. We come here as debtors to mercy to exalt the name of Christ because he did it for us. And we did not deserve it. So he's gracious, he's merciful, and he's righteous. He's doing the right thing. He's doing what he promised. Have we learned this about God in our Christian walk? These are very important, valuable reflections and conclusions that we need to we need to draw. Secondly, in verse six, the Lord preserves the simple. Some of you might now be thinking, man, I'm so glad to hear that. Finally, I can relate to something in Scripture. He's going to talk about the simple because a lot of times I think about you got to know so much. You got to be so smart. But the simple God has his eye on. On the simple. Well, not really. That's not, I mean, that he does, but that's not really what this verse is talking about. And you'll remember when we studied Proverbs that that word simple really isn't talking so much about what you know or don't know as far as your, your IQ, your intelligence quotient. It has to do with your moral character. And there are people that know a lot of facts and worldly things and they're moral idiots. They're moral failures. It's, it's a lack of judgment. And they make a mess of their lives because of that kind of simple thinking. And also it has to do with a rebellion, rebelliousness of heart. Not only, it's not that they're not intelligent. It's that I don't know the ways of God and I don't care to know them. So it's a moral character in here. But this even takes the word into a different context. The context, what he's saying here is that when I was at my lowest, I was thinking very simply. I was confused. I was, it was a near-death experience. And you know what? 
I didn't really know what to do. I wasn't clear headed. I didn't have it all together. I wasn't like, oh, in the case of when you're uh, on your deathbed then you do this, this and this and this. And I, I didn't have my life all together. My thoughts were scrambled. I was baffled. I, I, he even says, I amaze myself that I found the faith in my own heart to cry out to God at this time. I amazed myself that that was in there and that, that and that that came out of me. So basically what he's saying is the Lord preserves the common man. He per, he preserves and he cares for those that don't always have their act all together. They don't always have a plan B and then a plan C if plan B doesn't work. They're just going through life. They're doing the best they can. It speaks of. The commoner doesn't have unlimited resources to turn to in times of distress and despair. Everything worked out. Not a great leader, not a maker or shaker. You know, I'm just down here. I'm struggling with things. Sometimes I struggle with life and I don't know what to do. And God often comes to just the common man in Scripture. The tax collectors, the fishermen. The shepherds to announce the birth of Christ. Common people. When I read that, I was reminded of a song back in the day, country music. By that man with a deep voice, not Johnny Cash, but John Conley. And he actually wrote a song about the common man. I'm just a common man. Drive a common van. My dog ain't got a pedigree. If I have my say, it's going to stay that way. Because highbrow people lose their sanity. And a common man is what I'll be. Well, I mean, it doesn't really fit the passage. But the idea is, and I couldn't resist an opportunity to bring back. So God makes the gospel known to people that drive to work and drive home every day. People that put their pants on the same way every morning. Whatever the job is, whatever the situation is, God comes and ministers and, and gives his truth and his mercy and his grace as gifts to the common man. And I like what James Boyce said. He says, if you think you're too important to fit into that category, I question whether you know anything about the gospel. You certainly know very little about the meaning of God's grace. Wise words from a deceased leader and brilliant man. Third. Verse 7, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You ever notice in the Psalms that a lot of times they talk to themselves? They're counseling their own souls. They are mentoring their own souls. They're taking the truths that they know, that they've read in Holy Scripture. They're taking those and they're applying those to their situation. They're applying it to themselves. And so that's what the psalmist is doing. And he's saying to his soul, look, you have just learned how reliable God is. You just learned that there's no place that you can't go or there's no state that you can't be in that God's not going to hear you. And that God doesn't care for you. And so he's telling his soul, learn from this. Now you can be at rest. Based on what you just learned about God and his faithfulness and his reliability, your own weakness, but his strength. So relax, 
Just relax. Relax in that truth. Rest in that truth. So he's teaching himself based on the experience of life, of God's faithfulness. He's saying to his soul, you don't have to stay in this this state of panic. Constant anxiety. Because look what God just did for you. So we might say it's a spiritual chill. Based on the gospel truths of God, his sustaining power. Have you ever counseled yourself like that? Because the instinct of the flesh is to immediately let me panic first. Let me go through all the stages of anxiety and then physical sickness. Because, by the way, uh, in medicine, you will learn that anxiety doesn't stay out here in the spiritual realm. It seeps its way into your physical body and you get disease from it. You get sick from it. it. It eats away at you. That's what anxiety does. The medical world will tell you that. One time I walked into, um, it's probably been 10 years ago, I had a twitch in my eye. And it just wouldn't go away. You know, we get twitches and you think, well, it's going to go away. This one just wouldn't go away. I had it almost all week and it was bothering me because, you know, it's a twitch. And it's in a place where I got to look out of this thing all the time. So I come to church one Sunday and immediately is waiting for Dr. Wine. He comes in the door. I said, Dr. Wine, I've had this twitch in my eye and it just won't go away. Usually, you know, something like that goes away. What do you think it is? And I am really worried. And he said, it's stress. And he walked away. (laughs) Stress. And the strange thing is, once I knew that it wasn't some fatal disease that has come upon me, it was just stress. I was like, oh, just stress. It went away by the end of that church service. I was stressed out over that I didn't know that it was stress. I was healed. Praise God. Glory to God. So do we preach the gospel to ourselves? Are we still in that state where we get news and our instinct is to just panic? Let you drag your soul through the mud. Go into that time of despair. Cry the tears. Shed the tears. Or can we counsel our souls? Wait a minute. That's what I want to do. But I'm not going to do that this time. Let me get the facts in here. Because I'm looking at all the facts based on my perspective. Let me bring heaven's perspective into the situation in my life. Now, maybe I am in trouble. But let's see what God has to say about it. And don't forget the faithfulness of God. And how many things are in our past today that we worried about, we agonized over about, we haven't even given them a second thought. Why? Because God brought us through them. They're in our past. So he's counseling his soul. So life doesn't just jerk him around. And we will have lots of opportunities in our lives to counsel our souls. God will see to that. And fourth, verse 8. Last theological reflection. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The NIV says that I may walk before the Lord. So the psalmist is backed up and he's starting to get a big picture of what's just happened in his life. And he realizes that God was gracious and merciful to spare him. And now he gets to walk in the land of the living. But it's more than that. 
He gets to walk with God. He gets to walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So he realizes that his life wasn't just spared, but his life was spared for a purpose. And the reason that he's alive is so that he can walk with God. So he gets this big picture and draws this conclusion. I'm here for a purpose. I've been given my life back for a reason. And the reason is that I will walk with God before God. I will depend on God. I will do life with God. It reminds me of the farmhand that sits down at the farmer's table for the big meal. And on that table is all the delicious, fresh produce that the farmer grows. And the farmhand is loving it. And he's eating. And at the end of the meal, he sits back in his chair and he rubs his belly. And he's so satisfied. He's eaten so well. And then he realizes, you know, that meal was from the farmer for my enjoyment. And I really enjoyed it. But it was also for my nourishment so I can go work in his fields. And there are times when God does things in our lives and they're gracious and they're undeserved and they're merciful. But they are also the nourishment to quicken us, to make us alive, to make us aware of the fact that we are here for him. That every breath we breathe is to be breathed for the glory of God. That every thought we think we've been given consciousness, we've been given intelligence. Why? To use it to contemplate God. We've been given feelings and emotions. Why? To feel God deeply. We've been given a heart that knows how to love. Why? To love God with all our hearts. We're created and designed to glorify him. And he equips us with certain resources, abilities. And we are to use those primarily for his exaltation. So... We are brought to life and we are sustained in this life to live before him. Now, it wasn't so long ago that we heard testimony in this congregation from Helmet. I don't know if Helmet's here this morning. If he is, he's staying low. I don't know. And Floyd. I think it was the same Sunday. And both of them testified that there was a time in their lives that they experienced something that week. Where they were certain I was in a life threatening situation and God spared me. He was there right with me. That's the grace of God. It's the mercy of God. God keeps us around for a reason. If we're not meant to be around, we would not be here. We are immortal until our purpose is served on this earth. But God will do things in our lives and bring goodness and spare us, yes, for the sake that we bear fruit. As Matthew says that as Jesus said and Matthew said about Jesus, where he wants us, he invites us to come under his yoke. That means let's work together. It's not a life of ease. But when you tread your own fields, plow your own fields, that's hardship. Come under here. Get on board with what I'm doing. 
because there's a design and purpose to everything. You're a part of it and you will see life. We're going to still work. We're going to get sweaty and dirty, but you will see how enjoyable and satisfying life is when you yoke yourself with me. Tomatoes, tomatoes, thank yourself with me. So we're here for a purpose. Walk with God. Now, this is contrary to what we hear in our culture today, our culture of death, because what we're fed is a utilitarian view of mankind's worthiness. And the, and the saying goes, and it, and it just seeps out of everything. I, I, I see it oozing out of almost everything in our culture, this utilitarian point of view, that you are only worth something based on what you can do, based on what you offer to society. And there is pressure on people that are not whole and healthy today because the idea is, look, we have limited resources in this world and you are draining them. You are draining those resources. You're draining money. You're draining people's time and energy. You are a you're a detriment and it is selfish for you. You can no longer give. You no longer have anything to offer. It is selfish for you to stay alive and you should just end it. That's the message. To our society, if you have any kind of handicap, any kind of ailment, when you get old in age, if you just can't bring anything to the table that's useful for mankind, your purpose on earth is over. And that is exactly opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you have been stamped with the approval of God. You have been knitted and formed in your mother's womb in the image of God. And that alone is where your worth has come from. And when it gets right down to it, you can do what you were put here to do, and that is to glorify God in a variety of states. And it's not always your best physical, healthiest state, because you could be worn down to the nubs in this world and you can still glorify God. You can ha not have legs and you can walk with God. You cannot have arms and you can serve God. You cannot see, but you can see God. You might not have Physical hearing, but you can hear the voice of God. The greatest commandment that God gave us is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul and your mind. And you can do that no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are. You can do that whether you're in a wheelchair or you're running down the, the track. You can do that whether you're poor or rich, whether you're feeling your best or you're at your sickest, whether you're this close to death or you're at the top of the mountain. In any state, in any age, we can bring whatever it is that God has given us and use it to glorify him. And we are precious in his sight. And so the psalmist realizes I'm alive and I'm alive for fruitful living for the Lord. That's why. Fruitful living to glorify him. And so all of these reflections lead us to the last point. And this is a conclusion. This is something he thinks of on his own based on his experience in life. And he's thinking deeply about these things, as you can see. And I hope that you are learning these same lessons in your pilgrimage. But he draws this final conclusion. Verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I'll offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Call on the name of the Lord. Pay my vows in the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. So I asked when we first 
began, has God ever just been so good to you that you didn't just sit there and receive it and say, wow, that was awesome. I, I really love that. But it but you took it to a whole new level. And you were so undone and humbled by the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, whatever it was, that your heart just bubbled up and everything in you is saying, I have to do something for this awesome God. I just have to do something. That's the heart of the gospel. And I want you to understand that our desire to do something of God, that's not how you get into heaven. You don't live the Christian life to get into heaven. The Christian life is a response to the truth that heaven came down to earth and will come into you. The Christian life is a response to the grace and the goodness of God. It's not how you gain salvation. It's a response to the salvation that has been gained for you. And so the psalmist says, I have got to do something. I got to worship him in, in a way that I haven't worshipped him before. I got I have to act. I got to spring into action based on this goodness. And I said last week that we will live out our lives to the intensity and the degree of what we believe in God. In other words, what we really believe about God will come out in the way we worship Him. And He is really believing in the goodness of God, and it's got to come out in the way that He worships. I remember, as a young believer, I had one of those dramatic conversions uh, where God's grace... I mean, I was a living hymn. The chains fell off. I felt the lightness from the freedom of sin. And... I literally couldn't see and my eyes were open. The light came in. I just looked at the world and everything completely different. It was a phenomenal conversion experience. But I also had one of those journeys where I was up here this close to heaven. But man, my inconsistency in my flesh and I was this close to hell in, in my thinking. I just was, you know, I'd, I'd get close to God and then I would be unfaithful. And, and I would pay the consequences of a sinful lifestyle. And that's what the first couple, several years of my Christian life went through. I did my job of messing up and sinning. And then I would call on the name of the Lord and he would deliver me somehow. I don't know how he did it. He would make my life straight again and put my feet back on the path. I don't know how he did it. He's just that incredible. I just like the book of Judges. That's my life. I mess up, I sin, I suffer the consequences, I cry out to God, He saves me. I mess up, I sin, I suffer the consequences, I cry out to God, He saves me. There was this one time where I just had really blown it. And I had gotten to the point where I was so low that I, I pretty much had forgotten about God. Yeah, you know, just so worldly. So self-focused that I forgot he was even there for a season. And then I got myself in this low position. I was like, wait a minute, God, God. And I cried out to God. God, save me. I've made a mess of myself, my life again. Please deliver me. I have nothing to offer you. All I can do is cry and ask for your grace and mercy. And God came into my life and he again 
made something straight and good and beautiful out of the mess I made in my life. And I was so amazed at his ability. And I was so humbled that he had done this for me so many times that finally I got to the point where I said, there's something wrong with this cycle. I'm doing something for you, God. I'm doing something for you. I had to do something for God. I couldn't just keep receiving and keep receiving and keep receiving without returning in some kind of response. And so I said, God, whatever you want. And this is just a personal conversation. I'm not saying this is what your Christian life has to look like. This was just who I was back in that day. Whatever you want, I'm just going to give it to you. I don't care what it is. I got to do something. And the thing that came to mind, y'all, some of you might laugh. The thing that came to mind was uh, dip, skull, Copenhagen. I want you to give that up. I immediately knew that was from the Lord because I had been struggling with that. But where it gets, okay, it's not just a health issue. And I was struggling with that. Like every time I went to the dentist, I'm expecting him to say, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of cancer in there because that's what tobacco does. But this was a spiritual thing. And I realized what was going on is that, see, dip, that was a part of who I was. That was a part of my lifestyle. And I turned to dip. It was, it calmed my nerves. It was a habit. It was my go-to. I loved it. I always had it on hand. You never run out of it. It was my, it was one of those treasures in my life. I depended on it in a lot of ways. And I had tried many times on my own to give it up. And I would walk out of my house and I'd go to the fence and I'd throw that little, take that little round can out of my back pocket where the little round thing on the jeans was. And I'd throw it out in the field and I'd say, that's it, I'm done. And a couple hours later, I'm in the grass and I'm like, oh, man, where is that thing? And it, it didn't work. But this time, God had done something different in my life. It wasn't even about physical health anymore. It was about, I have got to worship you i got to give you something. And so I gave him that. A part of me, my treasure. And I have never gone back to it to this day. Except after this sermon. I think. <laughs> it, it was a togetherness thing. It was like our idea. Like he, he brought it to my mind. And I immediately knew it was a relationship thing. It was something that was, was really good. And it brought our relationship to a whole new level. Is God so good to you? Do you ever get to that? Do you realize how good God is to you? And does it ever just bubble up where you can't suppress it any longer? That's where the psalmist was. One more example um, of, of this idea of just free giving. And it's ironic that Josiah is here this morning because I'm going to tell a story. And he hadn't been able to be here, but he's back in the county. So go the speed limit. If you don't get anything else about of this from the sermon this morning. Um, so one. So this is a father's day. Now, Josiah had a treasure growing up and it was his thumb when he was a little kid, man. He loved his thumb and he sucked on that thumb and it brought him comfort and consolation. And it just was it made life so much better. And, and I was after him. You know, you got to give that thing up. It's going to mess your teeth up. We're going to pay a fortune in dental bills and plus, just for, for maturity's sake, you know, you get got to give that thing up. And we tried everything and he just wasn't going to do it. Just wasn't going to do it so for, for, for maturity's sake. And, you know, hey, it's, it's got a season, but man, you got to. 
And then one Father's Day, guess what he gave me for my Father's Day? He said, Dad, I'm giving you a thumb. Now, unless he did it in secret, he didn't suck his thumb anymore. It was just a free will offering. It was a relation thing. And man, I respected him so much for it. It brought our relationship to a new level. You don't suck your thumb anymore, do you, decide? <laughs> you know, when you give things up to God, and we're going to see this in Matthew 16, it doesn't matter what you give him. You can never lose. You, you, you only gain. It doesn't even matter how much or what it is, a part of you. And you know yourself and God knows you. And you can work these things out depending on your situation and your circumstance. And he knows your treasures. He knows the things you love. He knows how much you love him. And you and you get with him and you work these things out. But you can never lose when you give to God for whatever reason. You only gain. And it's not that. We're pay, it's not about paying God back. That's the wrong thing. You're not paying God back. You're responding to his grace. Romans eleven thirty five. What can we give to God that has everything? He already has everything he needs. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? You, you can't repay God. It is a free will offering. You are doing it in response to grace. He already has everything he needs. And so the psalmist says, as we wind down, I'm going to pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. So one of the things that he springs into action with is he worships God according to the word of God. He brings a sacrifice. He offers it to the Lord for sins. He also brings a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And it's this is a tangible thing where other people can see what he's doing. A tangible way to worship God, to live it out, to respond. But something interesting happens a lot of times when you tangibly bring a thanksgiving offering to the Lord the worshipers would make vows. And it's just another way of saying, I'm not just going through the motions and saying, yeah, thanks, God. Going back with my life, I'm saying, thanks, God. Because you've been so good to me, I make this pledge. I make this vow. And so he would make vows and he's saying, I've made, I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will pay my vows to the Lord, verse 18. It's a tangible thing. It all depends on what's going on with your life, who you are, your circumstances. But he made a vow. He made a promise based on your goodness. I'm doing this. And that is an appropriate thing for the Christian life. It's an appropriate way for us to respond to the gospel truth and the goodness and the faithfulness and the mercy of God in our lives. And so I encourage you, as you think about this passage, I mean, we're still, we're just getting started this morning in exalting Christ. We're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to worship him in praise. And if God impresses something upon you and you realize, you know what, God, you've been so good to me and I didn't even realize it. It's appropriate for you to give something to God as a response to his grace. Make a vow, make a pledge, just just act on it. Do you think I have got to do something? Write it down, tell the person next to you, whatever it is. If the spirit prompts you now, this is again, it's just you and God. You're working this out. But as we continue in an attitude of worship, I will lift up the cup of our salvation and call on the Lord. 
And I close with this thought. So in the temple, as a part of the worship, they bring a drink offering in Numbers 28, 7. And they pour it out. And what he's saying is, I have this only because you gave it to me. We have nothing to offer anybody or anything until Christ has come into our lives. Until we have given our lives to Christ, until we have placed our, our faith in Christ and he has come into our lives, we have nothing to offer. And the only way that we can keep giving is because Christ dwells in us. We have that gift. So let's join together as the saints of God and may God bless the preaching of his word to our hearts. We're going to sing and praise and we're going to tangibly come around the table as we have been commanded to do.